0: There may be very little we can do about Brexit, but blackgrass? Well, that's a whole different story. This week, the two farmers and their new drill that might help. We've been trying all sorts
1: of different drills. We own pretty much one of every drill that's available on the market, and we were finding that we couldn't drill lace enough with any of them to combat the resistant blackgrass that we've got. And later,
0: we're with the fire crews as they train to rescue livestock from flooded fields. Our biggest risk is the kicking
2: zone. So we'll stay out of the kicking zone and also the head zone.
3: The week in agriculture. This is the Farming Programme with Sean Dunderdale.
2: Good morning. We know
0: there's no miracle cure to blackgrass. If there was, uh, this programme wouldn't have lasted the last 25 years, as until Brexit, it was one of the biggest talking points. It was the fight against blackgrass on differing soil types that led to Simon Chaplin and Richard Phillips to come together with a new drill aimed at tackling the issue. Richard is MD of Aminona Limited. We'll hear from him in a moment. First, Simon. He's chief executive and designer of the Trident Agricultural Seed Drill.
1: We farm in five locations, from Kelso to Northampton to Fakenham to Cambridge. And uh, we've been trying all sorts of different drills. We own pretty much one of every drill that's available on the market. And we were finding that we couldn't drill lace enough with any of them to combat the resistant blackgrass that we've got. Um, in Scotland, we were finding that uh, the disc drills we've been using were fine in the light land but they would be leaving the seed on the surface in the heavy land. So I came up with a system which would drill all of our farms from our heavy resistant black grass land in Cambridgeshire uh, into our very stony bouldery uh, conditions that we have up in Kelso in Scotland uh, and hence the, the Triton seed drill and it, it's different to all the previous seed drills because all it does is it, it cuts a slot puts the seed in the slot, and then the following time drives along beside the seeded slot and shuts the slot. So whether it's heavy clay or whether it's <laughs> blow away sand, it treats all soil in the same way. So you don't have to vary the seed rate because you, you're not going to see heavy land with uh, seed scattered all over the top of it. It's, it just treats all the land the same. It allows you to drill in all conditions. Uh, you, need a, you need good stubble hygiene where you haven't got a lot of trash around. But the soil itself, so long as you've got a clean well well uh, chopped stubble it will drill in 20 conditions which allows us to drill right up into Christmas when black grass has either rotted away or germinated um, at this point people will say aren't you losing yield when you're drilling that late uh, and, and ordinarily you would be um, but you have to remember you're, you're probably getting three wheat crops out of a rotation rather than one or two because you, you can get more out of your rotation when you are culturally controlling the black grass within the rotation now you can get the crop to catch up with the earlier sown plants or the earlier sown wheat crops by putting on amino a flow which is a growth stimulant based on amino acids which Richard Phillips here uh, a university professor uh, has brought this to the market having worked on it for a couple of decades and as soon as you put amino a flow on a late drilled crop uh, you will see it
0: rocket and catch up with anything else you drilled in September. Let's introduce Richard into this uh, conversation. So tell us a little bit about more about what uh, you know. Simon was just explaining that how it works.
4: Uh, hi. Um, yeah, our products really are quite simple in that they all work on the same principle. I mean, if you imagine a plant, really, is an amino acid production factory. That's what they are. I mean, they take the nutrients that are in the soil, either that were there naturally or or we put there, and uh, Convert them into amino acids, which then control all the growth processes throughout the plant. So, what our, what our, what our products do is they contain every essential amino acid that that plant will do will need through its growth. And so we have found that basically adding them into your tank mixes all the way through the growth process um, not only helps the plant grow by directly uh, giving the plants a source of amino acids, uh, but it also helps the other things in that tank mix work much better.
0: And what kind of response have you had from those who are using it so far?
4: Um, Basically, I mean, in in replicated trials this year in winter wheat, uh, from a T1 application, uh, half a tonne a hectare response, from a T2, half a tonne a hectare, and from using both of them, a tonne a hectare. So typically, we have responses of, in wheat, between, say, half a tonne and a tonne a hectare, in oilseed rape, from about 250 kilos to over a tonne a hectare
0: and and you know those in farming are always looking for fresh ideas for new ideas cost effective ideas as well is is this the answer
4: uh, yeah i would say i would say it is the the whole point is i mean my experience is broadacre agriculture i used to farm thousands of acres in poland and we were always looking we had a very stressful environment we were always looking at things which would give us a competitive edge without spending a fortune now the whole point about using our products is they don't have to be uh, make your uh, the total uh, bill more expensive because you can actually cut back on other things because you will get a better effectiveness out of your fungicides etc by using our products so it doesn't have to cost you any more and you can get a very a positive response from the plants.
0: And going back to the, the drill itself again what kind of response have you had so far from those who have been using it?
1: plant establishment like they've, like they've just never seen before. We, we've got several farmers this year who have managed to drill the boggy wet clay headlands under woods and things where they've always had the slug and difficulty establishing oilseed rape where, uh, where they've just said it's just absolutely absolute perfect establishment. Uh, our own yields this last year when we hardly saw a drop of rain from april through till harvest uh, we, we did have our record harvest this year now that's partly due to the drill but it's it's also the Amino A where we did a few trials and we didn't put Amino A on it we had less tillering we had less depth of root uh, we had shorter heads, more shrivelled grains and the, the yield monitor on the combine would just plummet um, and that's the beauty of of the Amino A it's, uh, it's not It gives you a good response on first weeks. But first wheat's are a lot better at looking after themselves than your second and third wheat's. Second and third wheat's actually are the meat of your profits. If you can keep growing wheat and keep getting nearly four tons, without having to grow niche crops like soybeans and, and this sort of thing, which usually turn out to be disappointing, you will find that with a crop like a second or a third wheat, uh, your amino A will put a lot more response into those than it will into a first wheat. First wheat, in our experience, you're looking 10 to 15 percent yield increase. Second and third weeks in a drought situation, you could be looking at 30%.
0: Simon Chaplin, the designer of that Trident agricultural seed drill, chatting there with Richard Phillips from Aminoa Limited. Right, time for the first of our weekly updates. Let's get the latest grain prices and news,
5: shall we? Jerome Fielder has our open field report this week. Hello, Jerome. Hi, Sean. What a lovely week we've had. Farmers are finishing up spring drilling in the East Berlin, although conscious that we do need some rain soon. Wheat prices stalled as markets look for fresh news for future direction. The funds still remain short and are reluctant to buy futures back until they see a compelling reason to do so. A US China trade deal could change the negative sentiment, as US negotiators have headed to Beijing for more talks this past week with the Chinese vice president. Maize would be the most likely benefactor with circa 10 to 20 million tonnes being part of a new deal, which is not on any balance sheets. Other commodities could include wheat, ethanol and distillers grains. Concern on new crop has been raised after the recent flooding in the US, made worse by the snowmelt following harsh winters, which is delaying and reducing maize plantings below expectations. U.S. spring wheat plantings are also affected, and it could be significant given that winter wheat plantings are at 110-year lows in the States. These weather issues are yet to impact market values, but as we enter April, markets could respond if weather issues continue. EU export vessels continue to pick up business, and Egypt bought 120,000 tonnes of wheat, although the origin was the U.S., and this halted the recent rise on the matif, as the EU didn't pick up the demand. Brexit continues to frustrate many of us at the lack of progress being made with currency in in the focus. Old crop remains tight with consumers turning to barley given the steep discount to wheat. Oilseed markets remain volatile due to currency with consumers reluctant to enter the market even in the face of the lowest rapeseed area in the UK since 2005. Flooding in northern parts of the US has the potential to see later drilled soybeans gain acreage against spring-sown wheat in a year when supply rationing was required to ease the forecasted oversupply from this year, along with the ongoing stories of the impact of Asian swine flu on global soybean demand, regardless of origination. Onto your ex farm prices now. Feed wheat is trading for April at £162 to £165, pounds, and harvest is trading at £138 to £140, pounds, with November values at circa £143 to £145 pounds extra farm. Group 1 premiums are currently between £18 and £22. Pounds. Feed barley is trading spot between £130 and £132, pounds with harvest values at circa £120 pounds extra farm. All seed rape values are between £292 and £297, pounds depending on location, extra farm, and harvest values are £293 to £295, pounds with November values at £302 to £305. Pounds. For any inquiries on both seed, grain or fertiliser, please contact your local Openfield Farm Business Manager.
0: Thank you. Thanks for that, Jerome Fielder at Openfield. Now, it is the last day of March. Did you remember the clock change overnight? For many, of course, April is the new tax year and the implications that follow. And for those in farming, there's again the advice to consider seriously succession planning. Leslie Archer. Is from Walken Chapman Solicitors
3: In England and Wales, two out of every three adults die without leaving a will. That's a huge number. So it's talking about getting a will in place. If you have got a will, is it up to date? Have you made sure that you've got all the relevant provisions in? Particularly looking at estate planning, tax planning. The Office of Tax Simplification has announced that they are looking at inheritance tax. It's a reform that's long overdue. But one of the areas that they will be looking at are the reliefs that people get, the agricultural property relief, business property relief. Many clients are perhaps aware of deeds of variation so that after somebody dies we can vary a will or the rules surrounding what happens if you don't have a will but in limited circumstances. It's a great tax planning tool but it's, it's generally been felt for a long time that it is something that will be challenged in the future.
0: Succession planning is one of those things, isn't it? Nobody likes to think of, I'm not going to be around forever and you know things can happen. But when you're in a, particularly a family farm, it's crucial, isn't it? Because it can tear families apart, can't it, if you get it wrong?
3: Absolutely crucial, yes. Often it's trying to get a balance between those members of the family that run the farm, that want to carry on farming, and those that aren't involved in the farm. And that can be a really difficult calculation for clients, how to balance the two different sides of the family. The big thing is, make a will, because if you haven't taken that step to begin with, you haven't even thought about it, and you're leaving so much to chance.
0: Why do you think so many people don't make wills? Is it because they don't want to confront what's going to happen? or?
3: Yes, I think people think that if you make a will, that you're automatically going to die. You are going to die at some point, but this is just part of your financial planning, and... You should really be reviewing your will every few years, um, certainly every five years, but if there are other trigger points, if you're looking at retirement, if you have children, grandchildren, um, if you're bringing other partners into the business, it should be reviewed along with all your other financial tools. So along with looking at partnership agreements, trusts, a lot of farmers know that they jointly own land with their partners but they don't know whether it's jointly owned within the partnership or outside the partnership they don't know if it's held as joint tenants or tenants in common and that can have a huge impact as to what's going to happen to that land when somebody dies so really you should be looking at all of these things together and keep them under review make sure that you've looked at all the tax changes and you know what's coming up so you're not going to leave your relatives with any nasty surprises
0: Useful advice as ever. That's uh, Leslie Archer from Wilkin Chapman. Tributes have been paid this week to Sir David Naish, the former president of the National Farmers Union, who's died aged 78. He was president in the 1990s during the BSE crisis, and as current NFU Deputy President Guy Smith tweeted on Thursday, he offered cool-headed but strong leadership at that time and was a warm, compassionate man and a good farmer. Right, let's move on to agronomy, shall we? Our crop doctor, Sean Sparling, is enjoying the sunshine, I think. Hello, Sean.
6: Yes, good morning, Sean. And another week goes by with a faint whooshing sound, and it's another beautiful day in Gotham out here at the pointy end. I'm going to keep this quite short and sweet. Um, oil seed rate, let's start there. Pollen beetle have definitely increased this week. Um, I haven't sprayed for pollen beetle in over 17 years, but this year I've had to leave tickets on half a dozen fields the backward pieces where they're green bud and absolutely swamped out with pollen beetles you start getting temperatures above 15 degrees they'll start to migrate into crops now i have nearly 5,000 acres of oilseed rape and i think i'm going to have to end up treating in the region of 160 acres so it's not all of it by any means and remember thresholds are there for a reason once the crop starts to go yellow don't put an insecticide on because they're going to become pollinators when that happens but if you're hitting threshold and you've got a crop which is backward and you've got green buds and they're they're At threshold at green bud into yellow bud you've nothing in flower it doesn't look like it's going to be for a fortnight if you're finding threshold then you need to deal with them now for me maverick makes the most sense tau fluvalinate because it is kinder to the beneficials and as we've said before 80% of the insect life in an oilseed rape canopy are beneficials they're doing us some good so we don't want to jeopardize those also remember your thresholds 25 pollen beetle per plant not just the yellow one into the field on every plant 25 pollen beetle per plant if you've naught to 30 plants a square meter 30 to 50 plants a square meter it's 18 50 to 70 it's 11 and over 70 plants a square meter it is seven pollen beetle per plant every plant now you will always find more pollen beetle on those flowers which are going yellow on those buds which are opening and they're going yellow because all the pollen beetle wants is the pollen so they flood to that yellow if you put a yellow can of chemical outside you'll see it absolutely plastered and woe betide anybody who's fool enough to go walking fields in a yellow t-shirt because you'll be absolutely plastered in them they are out there but they are not endemic and they are not everywhere and that's important to understand And actually, the other thing is that there was some work done by Rothamsted. Um, They cut out the main raceme and removed it from the field altogether, took all of those buds away just to see what effect that would have on the yield. And it made no difference whatsoever because the plant compensated with side shoots. So just because you've got pollen beetle in that top knot it isn't the end of the world they're not killing every bud they're after they're mining for that pollen so they're not going to kill every bud remember rape produces 60% more buds than it ever turns into pods so you do have leeway you do have a compensatory effect on a rape crop don't panic but if you need to go pick the product which is kindest to the beneficial. Um, disease levels remain as they were last week, no real change. there. last dose of nitrogen pretty much already on this oil seed rate and it is romping away now. It's gone from knee height to waist height in the last seven days or so as a direct result of the increasing day length the warming temperatures and the warming soils and the fact that rape has managed to get hold of the nitrogen we've given it. Slightly different story in some of these wheat fields, particularly the higher ones on the top of the walls, the north faces fields they're not picking up the nitrogen quite as quickly as some of the lower land wheat but if you've already applied 60 70 kilos of nitrogen to these crops in the last two or three weeks you know they've they've all all got an amount of nitrogen in the soil in the labile pool which will be released. The amount depends obviously on the previous crop. If you're after peas, you'll have sixty to eighty kilos available in the soil. So if you've already given them seventy odd kilos plus what's already in the soil, there's no point putting any more on until you get to the critical timing, which is stem extension, which is when you would put the main dose of nitrogen on. So for those people who are saying to me, should we go and get the main dose on while the weather's good? I think the answer is no. Number one, it only just out of March Uh, and number two you're not at stem extension in a lot of these fields and even some of those forward pieces when you slice them open the ear isn't moving leaf four is the, the leaf which is out they're not as quite as far forward as they may appear slice them open and have a look at them I do think some of these wheats are probably a couple of weeks earlier than they were last year but monitor them you walk these wheats you can find yellow rust quite easily now in some of these varieties you can find a lot of septoria the T0 timing we've said it before, it is not compulsory, you don't have to spend a fortune, but use those actives that we have. And I say that advisedly because chlorthalonil, we've now lost registration for chlorthalonil, so within a couple of years that'll be gone, there'll be a use-up period into next year. But in their infinite wisdom... Despite all of the efforts from a lot of people like me who put a lot of time and effort into putting the data together from trials and independent work to show the impact of losing chlorthalinil on the cereal crops, particularly barley, because, you know, ramillaria, we've nothing to control it other than chlorthalinil. The fact that chlorthalinil has propped up the triazoles and the SDHIs, having now looking likely to lose it within the next 18 months or so, that does complicate the job. But we can only do what we can do, and in this country we're free to do as we're told, as we've said on many, many occasions. A lot of sugar beet now already in the ground. This week has seen a lot of sugar beet going. The peas have started to go in, the beans are up. The pea and bean weevil aren't really bothering them that much at the moment. Um, Spring wheat, spring barley, romping away. If you've got malting barley, remember all your nitrogen wants to be on by the time you get to mid tillering. And about 130 to 140 kilos in total on malting barley. So it's all happening out here, Sean. It's all busy. I'm now walking from... I'm leaving home at half five in the morning. I'm getting home after dark and I'm walking a lot of miles. And uh, dare I say it, we could do with a drop of rain.
0: Thank you. Uh, Sean Sparling of Sparling Agronomy Services. Now, we all remember the serious flooding of 2007 and more recently in 2013, and that threat hasn't gone away. Far from it, in fact. That's why Lincolnshire Fire and Rescue has just carried out an exercise rehearsing what they do to rescue livestock from flooded situations. It happened at Gibraltar Point. Heather Cartwright watched it in
2: action with uh, watch manager Sean Yates. So what we've got is, initially, the call had come through horse. So so ideally, as the fire and rescue will come and assess the situation and prevent the public or the owners getting in there and then we've got to rescue them yep so the the, the priority for us is keeping the public safe because everyone wants to go in and try and rescue either an animal or something um, so we'll have a, an initial team which are called ar1 trained so animal rescue level one they'll come and stabilize the scene clear everyone out of the way make sure it's safe put cordons in place Uh, put people in life jackets and things like that if they're working in this area and sort of get as much information about the animal, where it's from, where we're going to take it to once we've rescued it and things like that, the type of animal it is, and also request a vet because we'll need a vet to assist us in the rescue. Um, Then the next team turns up, which is the animal rescue team, AR2, so they're trained to level two, they're trained to get in to that environment, uh, come up with a rescue plan, communicate with, with the level one commander um, and then look at how we're gonna extract it put the stropping techniques on simple stropping techniques extract onto the bank and it's a phased extraction and we can utilize the other team as manpower for pulling the horse out as well Uh, again welfare of the horse is always uh, considered uh, and we've got to adhere to the animal welfare act as well as soon as we take charge of this incident and that animal we've got to look after its welfare
3: What's stropping technique? Right. Then, okay. In so term? we
2: have basically, as, as the horse is here, rather than us putting our hands in, and our biggest risk is the kicking zone. So we'll stay out of the kicking zone and also the head zone. But we'll always get head control first. We'll put a halter on or whatever we need to, because the, the horse's head will always come up first before the body. So if we can keep control of that, and we can hopefully keep the horse calm. Yeah basically we need to get some strops in and around the horse so we don't want to be in there with the hands, so we use, um, they're over there at the minute, we use bars, that, flexible bars that go under and they'll come out the other side and then we we'll use like shepherd's crooks to put a strop on to lean over so we're not going into the kicking zone, attach them to the bars, pull them through and then we've got strops ready there and we can put ropes through and lines through to pull the animal out. So,
3: and how long does a rescue like this normally take? Then is time sort of of the essence? Yeah,
2: on this, because there's no life risk, the horse is calm, there's, it's not a rush. So we can take our time, we're working with the vet, um, getting the sedation in. So we've got loads of options. A bit different if it's a life risk and there's somebody trapped under, but we have got procedures in place where we can commit ourselves and techniques aren't the best for the horse, but again, we've got consider the, the casualty and then we can consider rescuing the horse after that and
3: how dangerous are you saying about avoiding the kick zone how dangerous uh,
2: it's highly dangerous um the kick is like these things will kill you definitely retreat is a oh well a hazardous material yeah if we're not careful and we get a kick a serious injury from a kick or even like i say if it gets struck in the head it could yeah it could be fatal um, they are dangerous because they look like they're relaxed and then suddenly they'll get a little bit of energy to try and get out and they'll be kicking. Yeah. So the, our rescue horse here weighs about uh, 250 kilograms where your average uh, thoroughbred fully developed stallion or anything could weigh anywhere from five, 600 kilograms and then we're looking at going into other animals like bulls and cows and that you know a bull can weigh up to anything to a tonne you know it's uh, yeah.
3: And how many people would that take then to rescue, sort of, yeah, a bull or a large stallion? Yeah, well,
2: we've got two fire crews here and a, uh, a rescue team, so we've had ten personnel at this incident. Yeah, and that's a challenge. Um, but yeah, you know, we could have a, at least another crew here as well sometimes. So, but what we've gone from now over the last, we've been doing this, I'd say, professionally for ten years now with these techniques, and we've reduced our time at these incidents by at least two-thirds now because of the confidence we've got and the training we have.
0: That's watch manager Sean Yates with our own Heather Cartwright on that exercise aimed at saving livestock caught in flooding. We always hope they won't need to do it but sadly we know that one day they will.
3: The Farming Programme five-day forecast.
0: Well, no rain to cause any flash floods uh, this coming week, thankfully, but uh, the spring-like conditions will turn a little cooler this week with slow pressure hanging over us, uh, certainly by the latter end of it. Today, some sunshine, also cloudy though, staying dry. Highs of eight, the wind from the northeast at 15 miles an hour. There could be a frost early tomorrow, temperatures nearer one Celsius. Then April starts with, uh, again, some sunshine but quite cloudy, Highs of seven, the wind from the east at 15 miles an hour. More of the same for Tuesday and Wednesday, though the wind from the north could gust up to 40 miles an hour for a time. Might bring a few showers as well. Highs generally seven or eight, overnight lows staying around one or two Celsius. As I say, the end of the week could see more of the same. There's high pressure either side of us, so that could change things. Uh, That, as ever, is where our hourly forecasts come into play as the week continues. For now, though, that is the forecast, and that's it for another week on the farm. Until next Sunday, take care.